0: Welcome to Firm Foundation Ministries Podcast. We hope it encourages you and inspires you to live out the purpose God has for your life. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Everybody's kind of quiet this morning, settling in. Uh, If I can get the ushers to come and help me with the paintings. They were supposed to do that during the testimony, so... Uh, A couple of things happening this morning that are on top of it. All right, let's move on. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his masterpiece. Everybody say masterpiece. Masterpiece. For we are his masterpiece. Everybody say masterpiece. masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. So, Father, thank you for the word. Lord, this morning our focus is on you. So God, I, I thank you that you have something for us this morning, especially in the area of marriage. God, we thank you that as your heart goes, God, that there's an expression of you that comes so powerfully in marriage. And Father, we want to posture our heart for a season to hear from your word, to hear your expression, and to receive in our hearts what you are doing. And so Lord Jesus... We just pray over every marriage as we get started in the second message that you would be glorified, that you would bring revelation, that you, Jesus, would speak in only a way that you can. God, we know the enemy has come to kill, steal, and destroy, and marriage is a target because it glorifies you. We want our lives to glorify you. We want our homes to glorify you. But when people see our marriages, we want them to see the masterpiece of your love, so help us, Lord, to seek you in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. All right. Let me, let me ask you a question. Uh, have you ever seen pictures of incredible masterpieces and paintings? And obviously you have. Uh, my wife and I, when we were in London a few years back, uh, we got to go to the British Museum and spend a good day there. And uh, unfortunately, we, we, only, we picked three spaces It's so huge. If you've ever been to a museum, you can spend, I mean, it's forever. It's so big. And I wanted to see ancient Egypt, obviously. I wanted to see their area on the Bible, and I wanted to see Nineveh. Uh, And it was a blessing to me. Uh, Last week, Callie asked me to help her with her history, and uh, they were studying ancient Mesopotamia and Nebuchadnezzar, and in the picture of the book was uh, part of the, the clay walls that they took from Nineveh, and my wife and I seen those things for our own eyes, an incredible thing. There are certain areas in the British Museum, in the, in the Louvre, in France, and all those things where you go and you can see these masterpieces. And if you've never seen them up close, once you stand in front of them, they can be a little underwhelming. Because you're like, wait, that's it? They can be a little underwhelming. That, that's what all the fuss is about? I mean, if you've ever looked at masterpieces and, and those things, and we, you know, we could list some things out for sure. But let me ask you this question. How does a masterpiece become a masterpiece? Have you ever thought about it? Like, if you stand in front of these, these works of art, these paintings, or these sculptures, or all these things that over the years have been declared masterpieces... Have you ever wondered how did how did that become that? Like, how what did the artist decide before the painting? I am going to create a masterpiece. Did the artist gather all of his tools, all of his resources, all the things, all the things that maybe she had, and and put them in a room and say, today I'm going to create a masterpiece for all of the world. Was that their intention when they created? Have you ever thought about that? Or did the artist just paint? You see, in our culture, it promotes marriage as a task. In other words, our culture promotes marriage as the thing you have to make sure that you find just the right one. That's what our culture promotes. It it says, okay, let me prove it to you. Romantic comedies. All those romantic comedies are surrounding around the stumbling and fumbling that people finally realize that they didn't know right away that they had discovered just the right one. And you, you, you kind of get that sense at the beginning. But the movie, the romantic, it ends, the story ends at the end where it's like the aha moment for that couple. Oh, you were the one the whole time. You were the one. Celebrity relationships. Hello, somebody. These people, come on, a big one in the news right now is, you know, Tom and Giselle, right? And all the conversation around uh, them, right? I mean, we were sure that those two were perfect for each other, right? I mean, like, come on, guys. She made more money than him, and she wasn't even working anymore. Celebrity relationships, what do they do, right? Like, they put in front of us, these two are perfect people, and therefore, they have, they have completed the task of finding the perfect one, You know, because if you find the perfect one, right, it's going to be all rainbows. It's going to be all hearts. It's going to be all flowers. It's going to be all love songs. Marvin is singing. Some some of y'all know who Marvin is. Come on. (laughs) These love songs forever because that's the way it's supposed to be. The culture, even in church, even in church, even in church, what do we do? Pray for God to send you the right one. Are you praying right now for your future husband? Are you praying right now for your future wife? Are you praying that God would send you just the right one? And we reinforce that with Scripture. The Bible says, seek and you'll find. The Bible says, ask and it will be. Come on, are you praying? Even our prayers are bent when we think about that. We say, you know, Jesus, you said, you promised, I asked. Now you have to do it. Because everyone knows to be truly happy in life, you have to find the one. Y'all not helping me this morning. You have to. And now, here you are, finally married. And all you really want is for the spouse you're married to to finally just step up and meet all the needs that they aren't meeting. I mean, why are they so stubborn? (laughs) why don't you just do what you know you're supposed to do so I'll be happy you're supposed to be the one we're like Obi-Wan looking at Anakin you were the one some of you Star Wars people get it some of you have no idea what I'm talking about you were the one you were the one I was so sure you're the one Come on, young people, you already know how it goes. Yeah, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it, you already know how it goes. Can I help? Boy meets girl. Girl's pretty. Girl's hair smells good. She's the one, she's the one, she's the one, she's the one. She's pretty, her hair smells good, she's the one. Now, girls are much more sophisticated than that. We already know, we already know how it goes. Come on. They go on this first magical date. And the thre- text thread starts. O M G. He is so sweet. His eyes, his eyes are amazing. An old girl, you can tell. He works out. <laughs> and we talked for hours. Oh my gosh, he is. Oh, what? You know how many young people I had in my office with that statement? And I'm like, bro, you need to see her before she puts on her makeup. (laughs) You should, listen, girl, you should see him. Come on. Am I helping somebody? Hey, I'm not going to leave you veterans of marriage out because y'all done been through the marriage war. You already know how it goes. You've been married for so long and you've been... Trying to paint this picture of what you had in your mind. And, and it, just, it just isn't. It just, it, you're just trying to paint this picture of what you had in your mind. And it just is not happening. It's not happening. And now you find yourself, Lord, I thought my spouse was the one. But now, but now, but now, I'm not so sure. But I'm asking that you change my spouse into someone who can meet my needs. You see. It's with these ideas of marriage that it never takes long to figure out that the one isn't really. Am I helping you? I'm not trying to disappoint you. Come on. So what happens to our young people because of this idea that they have in their head is they just participate in divorce practice. That's why Pastor Don is not for dating. That's not biblical. Courting is. And there's a big difference. Hello, somebody. Dating leads our young people to divorce practice. And then once they get married, they have a a practice of separating and not a conviction. Veteran, married people, you feel empty and trapped. Come on. And so finding the one can really feel like panning for gold in the ocean. It's like pre-deciding you're going to paint a masterpiece. And so what happens is... You predecide. you're painting the masterpiece. And when it doesn't turn out like you expect it, you're frustrated because you waste so much time and resources trying to make something look like. Come on, church. And Elizabeth came up to me at worship and she said, I just get the picture of God opening a door. And that's our prayers. We've been praying that God would open the door. But we're anticipating that on the other side of the door is the fix. But what if when God's opening the door, it's not the fix, it's the pathway? Yep. And see, that's, that's the story of marriage. The story of marriage is a pathway. It's a journey. And God opens doors for us on a journey so that we become, through the process of the journey, what He has intended for us to be. You see, you just don't start with a blank canvas and snap your fingers and all of a sudden it's done. The painting itself becomes a journey. And most masterpieces started out without a picture to paint from. It became... You can read the story of, all, story of each masterpiece if you want to about how they came about. And they're, it's in, they're incredible. Even, even when we're going to mention here in a little bit, my wife might spend more time on it on her time. But even when we're going to mention a little bit, there's, still today there's controversy over what it really is. It is a masterpiece, but what is it? And I know there's some of us in this room right now who are asking that same question about our marriage. What, what, what is it? <laughs> What if we started to seek God for a pathway and not just a quick fix? And at this point, we've wasted so much effort, so much resources that we think it's never going to happen. Come on, church. But Leora comes up at worship and and she says, I just feel like God says we're wasting so much effort, so much energy on our own effort, and we're not trusting God, and we're not getting out of the way. Do you sometimes an artist has to get out of their own way? Yeah. They have to get away from their presupposed idea and allow the creation to become what? Come on, church. Yeah. One of the famous statues that were carved out of marble. Someone said asked the the, 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 the the carver, like, how how did you how did you come up with that idea? And he said, I simply started carving on the stone. The statue was in there, and it became as I continued. To hammer away it. Come on somebody. As I continue to chisel off what wasn't supposed to be part of it. And now we have. Come on someone. Yeah. Come on. Sometimes we are in our own way married people. Yep. So we, we, we are so desperate that we are we're, we're desperately afraid to even release control. To allow God to do what only he can do. Right. And so we take control even from God. And so our prayers become God make my spouse instead of God make me. I've said this before. You can marry the right person and treat them wrong. And guess what? You're married to the wrong person. And the miracle working power of God, you can marry who you thought were the wrong person and treat them right. And you might just be married to the right person. So our prayers become about our spouse instead about us. Because we trusting our own strength. We're trying to manipulate God and our spouse to do and be what makes us happy. What if finding the one isn't about a spouse at all? Marrying the, the right person, it is important. But another person can never, ever, ever be the one. Just one time I wish someone would walk into my office and say, Pastor Donna, I found the two. You see, here's the catch. God is your one. God is your one. Your spouse is your two. And my wife and I, Lisa and I, this little woman and I have learned the most fundamental part of our marriage is our personal relationship with Jesus. And don't take our word for it. Watch what Jesus says to himself, or himself to the, those that are around him, especially the Pharisees and those who thought they had it all figured out. In Matthew chapter 22, there's a statement, Right? I don't have time to read it all to you today, but the statement goes something like this. What's the greatest commandment? Notice what Jesus didn't say. Now, I love this because sometimes it's very important to hear what's not said. Notice what Jesus didn't say. What's the greatest commandment? Jesus did not say love your spouse with all your heart, soul, and mind. Second, love your neighbor as yourself. What, what the Lord said to them is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And second, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is saying to us, God is the one. Make him the one. Yeah. And many of us have pursued our marriage without first pursuing God. Yeah. And young people, when you have to stop pursuing God to pursue a relationship, that is the wrong relationship. Married people, when you have to stop pursuing God, we got to think about what's happening in our lives. Why do you think that the Marriage Sermon Series is our highest attended series of any series during the year? Because, see, marriage is something that affects everybody on the planet, whether you're married or not. It's so relevant... And yet, at the same time, it's so confusing because we all have our own ideas and our own thought patterns about what it should like, be like, how it should look, and what's going on. We presuppose other people have perfect masterpieces yep. and they've never made a mistake. Joe and Tanya are so perfect. Their marriage is so perfect. Their boys are so perfect. They've never had any issues. And we start measuring our painting, we don't know the mistakes. They made and how they started trusting God and allowed God to not only cover those mistakes but make them part of the painting in such a way that you don't even realize the mistake was there. That's what an artist does. Hello, somebody. Let me just address the young unmarried. Here's a simple truth it doesn't matter what you want, like attracts like. So young unmarried, if you hope to have a godly marriage one day, you need to start living a godly life now. But see, I'm the cruel one who look at young people and say, you need to work on your godly walk before you start working on pursuing a relationship. Pastor Don's the mean one when I look a young person in the eye and say, this is not a time for you to be seeking a relationship. This is a time for you to be seeking God. Let them be young people. No, I don't want them to ruin their lives. Becoming the kind of person you would marry... Is an important aspect. Now, one of our professors in the college, uh, uh, especially our second year students, they've been taking a course right now in college, and one of our professors is teaching this course. It's called Marriage and Family. Hello, somebody. And uh, you missed it last week because last week the whole, the whole college lecture was on sex. The Hebrew word is Yada, Y A D A, Joe Wells, not Tada. <laughs> Look at, why are you glowing, Tanya? See, we can't even talk about that in church. Why not? But we should. Because the Bible short has a lot to say about it. There's a whole book, hello somebody, that when interpreted properly, you will want your young people reading. It's called the Song of Solomon. And it's all about yada, not tada. <laughs> but the professor is teaching the class. Here's a statement he made a few weeks ago. He said, here is the litmus test for marrying a person. If you marry this person, would you want the children that you're going to have with this person to be just like them? Gentlemen, if you're going to marry a woman and you guys have a daughter, do you want your daughter to be just like her? Oh boy. Ladies, if you get married and you have a son... Do you want your son to be just like him? That is an excellent question. And it's so powerful to say that in a marriage sermon series, especially to our young people, because young people are often worried about what's the litmus test? How do I know if I found the one? What if this is not the one? How do I pursue this? You know what I'm saying? If she's a drama queen and you don't want to give birth to a mini-me, if he's lazy and you don't want to give birth... To a non-motivated, come on somebody. I, I, hey, listen, <laughs> young ladies, if he, if he can't pull his pants, I, I got to move on. I have no idea how these young ladies swoon over some of these guys today. These boys can't even pump their own gas unless it's on a video game. And we're okay with our daughters dating them. You know what I wish every young lady would say to every young man who approaches them and says, hey, would you like to go out on a date? Do you have a job? Do you have a savings account? And do you pull your pants up in the morning? That's what I wish every young lady would say. And if he doesn't have a job, send him up the road. Just send him up the road. He'll be okay. And so will you. You're going to wind up working two jobs to support him. (laughs) I got to move on. It's not, those are not in my notes. I'm, so let me address the seasoned married people. Here's a simple truth. It doesn't matter what you want. Like attracts. Like. If you want your spouse to be more godly, then you need to be more godly. We've often told people who are in crisis and wondering how to fix it, this is a time for you to pursue your relationship with God. Stop worrying about what they ain't doing. You're still married and you're still working on it, but we got to focus on where you're at with God and how you're walking with God. Are you seeking God? Where is your relationship at? Become the kind of spouse you want your spouse to be. If you want your spouse to be gentle, be gentle. If you want your spouse to be loving, be loving. You know what I'm saying? If you want your spouse to be motivated, then be motivated. Always seek the one first. I'm going to say this. Marriage can never be what it was meant to be if God is always playing second. And many of you know this already. You know this already because you've tried to do it on your own. I'm going to be very bold right now. Making your spouse everything, we have a word for that. It's called idolatry. Now, let me give you a huge revelation. This is country boy thinking. Let me give you a huge revelation. Idols always fail us. Anything you make an idol, you will end up demonizing it. We always demonize what fails us. Think about people who, who are divorced and how they talk about the person now that they once were so in love with. Oh, her hair smelled great. She was the one, right? He talked with me for hours. He's the one. But now you find them broken because we live in a broken world. They no longer talk about their spouse that way. In other words, it's the most evil person you ever met or ever will meet on the planet. Now, I'm not saying people don't have issues. I'm just saying we always demonize what fails us. Somebody say amen. amen. I'm just trying to be honest. If that's you in this, in, this, in this room and God is healing you from the brokenness of divorce, listen, God hasn't thrown you away. Amen. God's still got purpose and use for you. You need to seek the one now so that you can heal from that. Stop worrying about demonizing somebody and laying the blame on why you're broken and what happened to you and start focusing on the one who came to deliver you. Be the person you need to be. The truth is people always fail us. And if, if, if I can play this to you, playing the blame game. is what Steph said earlier. She's like, this is where we're at. We're, the blame game happens in our, in our marriages all the time we're looking because we made an idol out of something and it failed us. And now we need to find something to blame. Have you ever heard these statements from your spouse? How could you do that to me? Have you ever made that statement to your spouse? Why don't you just meet my needs the way I want you to? Why are you so mean and selfish? You ever heard these statements? You ever made these statements? See, at first... You loved that your spouse was so organized, and, 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 and she was so perfect. She had everything in order. Everything was so organized. But now, guy, man, here you are. You're just like, man, she's a control freak. What you loved about her in the beginning. Listen, I promise you. Oh, man, such a control freak. At first, you loved it. So everything was clean and everything was in order. Until you get lazy and you come home and you don't take the time to put your stuff in its space. And then your spouse comes along and do what they've always done. Now you are demonizing what you once worshipped. Come on, ladies. At first you loved it that he was so chill. He's so laid back. Man, nothing bothers him. He's so perfect. He's just so chill. He's so laid back. And now all these years later, you're just married to a bump on a log. He, he just don't do anything. He just doesn't do anything. He just talk. He just, he's just there. He's just there. He's just in the way. Most of the time, he's just there. <laughs> First what you idolized, now you demonize. This is why when you're married, you need to fix your resolve. I will always seek the one with my two. What does that mean and how do we do that? Well, Pastor Don, glad you asked that because I have the fix for you. I'm going to call this cornerstone habits. Everybody say cornerstone habits. Oh, you're not ready. You're not ready. You're going to need a pen and a paper. You're going to have to write it down because these things are going to revolutionize your life and your marriage. They're going to change you and fix you once and for all right now. You're going to walk out of here a brand new married people. I heard a guy this week on the internet say he was talking about marriage and he's talking about people who are just going through struggle and they want to get a divorce. And here's what he said. He used to be a pastor. He's not a pastor anymore, but he's just got this thing that he does and he talks all the time about stuff that's going on. It was really good. He said, Man, people, people come to, used to come to me and they want to get a divorce. You know what I would tell them? Yes, you need a divorce. You need to divorce your old lifestyle and not your spouse. And I was like, Okay, okay. I'm, I'm trekking. Go ahead. If you're so hungry for a divorce, let me grant you one. How about divorcing your ungodly ways, your selfish ways? How about divorcing all the things that have broken the person that you're married to and broken your marriage? How about divorcing that stuff? And you just might wind up with a great marriage. And I'm like, well, he ain't wrong. But let me give you my cornerstone habit. So you ready, you're not ready. You ready? I'm going to fix you. If we're seeking the one with our two, you know what we need to do? Here's cornerstone habit number one. Read the Word of God together. Are you reading the Bible together? Are you talking about what you're reading? Are you sharing what God is sharing with you? Or is it awkward to talk about spiritual things? Number two, worship together. Do you worship together? No, I can't sing and she can't sing. No, I don't want us singing together. Nobody cared about all that. Worship together. Is it awkward? Now, I'm gonna bless you with this third one. You're not gonna like it, but it's gonna bless you later. Let me just say, every married person in here, every married couple in here, your intimate friend circle must be mature Christians. You can't hang out with people who are mature and pro marriage. You can't hang out with them. No, no, they're not your friends. They're not. They're acquaintances, but they're not for you. Number four, accountability. Who speaks into your marriage? Who speaks into your marriage? Who has, has the ability to speak into your marriage, and you can't say, yeah, but, what if, and that ain't fair. Yeah. Who, who are you accountable to as a married couple? Who speaks into this? Number, f- uh, number uh, five, work, uh, serve together. What are you doing together? You just show up to church together? Listen, you arguing when you came in. you arguing after you leave. You showed up together here. You was not happy. You weren't happy on your way here, and you ain't happy on the way home. But let me just tell you what will happen. This is what transformed our life. We started serving together. We would come to church with a purpose. Hey, we got to get there because we are doing this together. Are we serving together? Number six, lead your family together. Do your children see you doing the first five? You know, because here's the thing. Children are great imitators. A Little London was at our house this week and it was hilarious, right? And we were just trying to figure out where she got this little phrase from because something would happen and it would be silly or funny or she would win and she would just look right at you and point and go, ha ha. I'm like, you, you little snot. And then, you know, I dropped something on the floor. I was trying to work into it. And she just, she wasn't sad about it. She didn't cry about it. She got this little smirk on her face and she went, ha ha. And I said, you little snot. Ha, 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 And, you know, and I'm like, she got that from my son. <laughs> She's a perfect imitator of him. Ha, ha. I can remember something would happen and TC would just, he would be the same. He's like, ha, 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 ha. Better you than me. They're perfect Im- Ha! You know what I'm saying? Lead your family together. Your children are watching. They watch you Disagree. They watch you agree. They know when you're in unity and they know when you're not. And they know how to use all of that to their advantage. But nothing blesses me more than when young people come up to me and say, you know what I got? I, I, I woke up this morning and went to the bathroom and I noticed the light was on in the kitchen. And, and you know what I saw? My dad was reading his Bible before anybody else was awake. And I said, did that encourage you to read your Bible more? Yeah. Develop spiritual traditions together with your family you write them all down did you get them all down now let me be honest with you you and I both know that list just overwhelmed you and you aren't going to do any of them it doesn't let you off the hook because they will change your life they will change your marriage but you know you're overwhelmed sitting in this place right now you're overwhelmed I can't do it I cannot do it I cannot do it it is too delicate there's too many details there's too many moving parts I can't make that look like it's supposed to look like I don't want to try it I don't even want to start and therefore, your, your marriage has no color. It has no life. It has... And you live blank. Because you don't want to do it because you're overwhelmed because of all the details. Or let me just give you one. One that you need to write bold. You need to circle it. It's just one. Seek Him. Yeah. Yeah. Seek the Lord. You know where married people need to be on a Sunday morning? In church. Absolutely together. So you need to be. Why? Because your marriage needs you to be there. Talk to married people who have been broken and, and talk to them about that particular wrestling in their life. Talk to married people who were struggling and made that commitment. Watch what happened in their life. People you think have no issues came to mind in my wife's office, completely broken, ready to get divorced, devastated by what's happened in their life. And one of our requirements was you will be in church every Sunday. Yeah. I can't. I got a job. Quit that job. Yeah. How important is your marriage? If your marriage is struggling, you mean that job's more valuable than your marriage? On. I told, one young man told me, he said, well, I got a business and I'm gone all the time. I said, "Sell it. how valuable is your wife? How valuable is she? Do you love her more than you love money? Welcome to John chapter 21. You know what he did? He sold it. Praise God for his boldness. Let me give you just one. Seek him. Let me give you my definition of cornerstone habits. A cornerstone habit is the one thing that if you don't do it, everything else falls apart. That's what a cornerstone habit is. If you don't do that, everything else falls apart. It's the the thing that everything hinges on. What is that in your life? And that should be for married people seeking God together. You ever notice in your life that everything good seems to build on what is good? You ever notice in your life that everything that's bad seems to add to the weight of failure? Can I say that again? You ever notice everything good in your life builds on what's good? And everything that's bad seems to add weight to failure. Seeing people fail and you think that's no big deal. But see, you meet them in that point of, of, of many failure that you don't think is good. But what you don't realize is that's just added the weight. And we have a phrase for that's the straw that broke the camel's back. That was the little bitty ounce that finally made it all break and fall down, right? It was that one thing. And you can't fathom that because you don't understand the weight of all the failure that's been in our life. And the point is this, we need to invest so much into the good things in our lives that it's too expensive to let cheap stuff tear it up. Come on, people, pornography is cheap. And you're letting it ruin your intimacy as a couple. When God has declared, we learned that this week, right? Yada, that the marriage bed is undefiled. God's not a peeping tom. He created sex for a husband and wife to enjoy it. And then He says, have fun. But if you're not married, that's not for you. Because anything that comes against the beauty of God's purpose is cheap. It's cheap. We let cheap stuff ruin our marriage. I would rather be right than be in relationship. That is cheap. Can I help you? That is, that is not even cheap. That, that is so cheap, it don't even make it into the dollar store. That's at the dime store. If you're a spouse and you'd rather be right than be in relationship, don't wind up in my office asking me to fix your relationship. See, here's what, I, here's what I struggle with. As, as, and I told you this last week when I started. Most people will come up to me and say, I'm willing to die for my spouse. I will, I will give my life up for my spouse. And I'm like, no, you won't. You won't even give your will up for your spouse. And now you're going to try and convince me that you're willing to die for them? They know the truth. You lie and you... You on the Chap Snap with people you shouldn't be Snap with? It's a sin. Yeah. Because it robs value. Yeah. You, you, what, what is this fans only? What is, what is this stuff? That is, and people pay. I found out this week that some lady's making $300,000 a year on a fans-only site. And know what she does? She takes pictures of her feet. And dudes pay her to see pictures of her feet. I'm like, bro's got issues. Because there's no way my my wife's face is as beautiful or my wife's feet is as beautiful as her face. Not to mention, hello, somebody. This is a real thing. I'm losing my mind going, out cheap are we? Yeah. And you know what? I started with me. Because all those years ago, I had to realize how cheap I was. And I had to realize that I could say I was willing to die for Lisa, but I wasn't willing to lay down my will for her. No wonder she won't follow me. No wonder she won't submit. Gentlemen, do you know that the Bible, you're the only one commanded to do any loving? <laughs> we got a lot to talk about. Can I say this to you? You cannot paint... A Mona Lisa with dollar store paint. (laughs) At lunch, y'all just gonna go, that was, that was. You see, everyone wants a Mona Lisa marriage. Y'all know what a Mona Lisa is, right? But they don't wanna invest. My wife and I have something we do with with newlyweds and crisis people. It's called the pulse test. It's something where we just figure out how to put our pulse on the uh, life of a a couple that's together or whatever, right? And and one of the questions in our pulse test, it's not on this one, but I I promise you, this one will make you think. There's no right or wrong answer, by the way. But one of the questions we ask on our pulse test is this. Who or what gets more of your time and energy that you can't invest in your marriage? Do you know what we hear? Work. You know what we hear? Kids, do we hear all the things that God meant to be a blessing in your life that you have now used cheaply and you wonder why there's no value in it? Work's meant to be a blessing. Come on. You don't have to hate it. If you don't like your job, you know how many people are hiring right now? Work, work's, work is, it gives us value. It gives us purpose. It's okay. It gives us a mission field. It's all right. Work's all right. Kids are a wonderful gift. But they're never supposed to be in front of your spouse. I hear people tell me all the time, oh, we hate our marriage, but we're gonna stay married for the kids. You didn't get married for the kids. Right. Yeah. Now, see, I'm the mean pastor. Yeah. Because, oh, that's a good thing. We're gonna stay married for the kids. Now you make everybody miserable. Yeah. Right. How about be married because God called you together? Yeah. Right. I'm not advocating divorce, I'm just saying stop being stupid. You're trying to give me answers to justify your dysfunction instead of saying, Pastor Don, help me so that I can change. See, I'm so glad I had a pastor in my life. who didn't care about my feelings. You can't paint a Mona Lisa with dollar store paint. Why are you shopping in cheap areas to to create a beautiful marriage? Oh, Pastor Don's helping you today. I'm so helping you today. You'll get it later. And I, I trust God will just add that to it. Marriage is worth investing to the point that anything that threatens it is too cheap to be bothered with. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's, that's up there because you need to take a picture, write it down. You should put it if you still have Facebook, or you should put it It's because it's true. Marriage is worth investing to the point that anything that threatens it is too cheap to be bothered with. Too yeah. cheap to be bothered with. Can't be bothered with it. Can't be bothered with it. If you own a masterpiece, can you imagine owning a masterpiece. Who's who this Who's this famous painter that's a Christian painter? Uh, Kincaid. Is that his name? Yeah, so you know, his paintings are expensive, right? Does anybody have one? Wait, raise your hand. Does anybody have a Thomas Kincaid? Uh, no? I mean, if you've ever seen any of his paintings, they're beautiful. I was like, man, we should have one of those. It's in the house. It's a piece of art. It's nice, right? I would love to have a Thomas Kincaid. If you own a ma- now his paintings probably aren't masterpieces or probably never going to be classified as masterpieces. They're not going to compare to what we would say. But if you own a masterpiece, you would not put this painting next to it on the wall. I love you, Claire. Thank you so much. Claire's not here. She went to see Cammy. But that's no slight on Claire. Claire did what I asked her to do. Come on. But if you owned a masterpiece, you wouldn't put that painting next to it. Why would you not put that painting next to it? That's too cheap. And it brings down the value of the masterpiece. So I'm helping you. I'm I'm really helping you, right? I'm really helping you. Good habits create forward momentum. Everybody say that with me. Good habits create forward momentum. Seek God together. Yep. Now all the ladies in the house are giddy about this. You're like, "Finally, someone said it. I'm so I just can't wait for my husband to seek God with me and to pray with me." Guys just think this is awkward. Why is it important? You see, here's what we like to do. We like to talk about revival. And uh, Tim, Tim didn't know I was going to mention this, uh, but we like to talk about revival, right? And, and when we talk about revival, we like to talk about 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people, which are called by my name, right, will repent, humble themselves, and pray, then I'll heal their land. Come on, especially in America, we love to talk about that scripture. Let me during worship, here's what Tim Carpenter sent me. He said, what if revival looked completely different than we always imagined? Revival in our marriages, in our families, in our homes. Let me tell you why that scripture is important in marriage. Let me tell you why 2 Chronicles 7.14 is is important in marriage because married people... Come on, if you're married, say, that's me. me. Your land is your marriage. Your... Marriage is your masterpiece. You already have something valuable. You've just been treating it like you bought it at the dollar store. My wife is not perfect. She's full of spit and vinegar. And most days that gets at me more than it gets anybody else. I promise you. I promise you. But if you will seek God, humble yourselves... Repent of your own sin in your marriage. God will heal your land. He promised it. And revival will come to your life. Here's what we usually hear. I, I, just, I just don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray. I, don't, I, I, don't, I never know what to say. It just feels awkward and unusual. Well, see, that's true about anything you haven't done before. If you've never painted a picture before, and I was asked you to come up here today, give you all the resources that you needed to paint a picture, you would still find it very awkward. You'd have everything you need to do it, but you've never done it before. And you say, well, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do this. I don't know which colors to start with. I don't know what colors make what colors. You see, it's awkward because you don't do it. You know what they taught us when we started painting in painting school? Just paint. What if I mess it up? Mix some more colors and paint it again. Magic white takes care of everything. Oh, You see, the, the blood of Jesus washes white. I don't know how to help you this morning. Just starting is the hard part. Yeah. I've never been to the Louvre in France. Um, we were in Paris, but just in the airport. Um, never Didn't get a chance to leave or be in it. And anyway, I, I think it'd be cool to go. I'm not a big, that kind of guy, but it'd be cool. But Leonardo da Vinci's painting, Mona Lisa... Is in the Louvre. And what I'm told is, if you actually go there and stand in front of it, it's much smaller than you imagine it to be. It's not as bright as you imagine it to be. As a matter of fact, there's some details in it that you might, call, might, might be difficult for you to discern. But here this painting is nonetheless, hanging in the Louvre, and it is the most famous painting in all of planet Earth. It is. That's a true story. There is not another painting that is more famous than the Mona Lisa. And a lot of conversation happens around this painting. Is it of a woman that he loved, or is it a self portrait? And this conversation has happened over and over and over and over again. And that's the point of a masterpiece. It's supposed to make you think. It's supposed to make you talk. It's supposed to make you ask some questions. And, and here Leonardo da Vinci painted this woman. He just started to paint a woman. I guarantee you he didn't gather up his, his supplies, walk into a room and say, I'm going to paint a masterpiece today. That's not at all what he said. There's no way he could fathom that his painting, what we call the Mona Lisa, would be the most famous painting up to this point in history, period. There's only one. Do you know what the insured value of the Mona Lisa is? Just the insured value. It has no value. Come on. I mean, you can't fathom. It's only one. You can't, they, how can you place value on it? There is no other. It's the most famous painting in all of the world. It's insured value as of 2021 was $870 million. That's just its insured value. Now, for those of you sitting in the room and saying, well, that's not a lot of money. Let, let me remember your name when Pastor Don starts talking about the tithing sermon. Because I'd sure like to go 100 feet that way and and relieve all this. Did I say that during the marriage sermon? I said it. 870 million. Oh, Pastor Don. Elon Musk just spent 44 million, 44 billion on Twitter. And then he promptly changed his name to head tweet. (laughs) And you know what I said? Yep. 870 million. Let me say this to every married people. And I, want you to, I want you to grab a hold of this. You cannot fathom the beauty and value of your marriage in the beginning or in times of struggle. You can't value its worth. You can't value its beauty. You, you cannot go into a room and decide that you're going to pre-paint a masterpiece. Instead, the Bible tells us we already are his masterpiece. Oh, that's so good. Seeking the one who is painting your marriage is the only way your marriage will ever be a masterpiece. I simply don't know how couples survive without seeking Christ. You want to come? I I simply don't. How can two people make it without truly seeking God together? Can I say this to us married people? Our inability to pray is a snare from the enemy. It's a snare from the enemy. And he would like nothing better than for none of us to seek God together. What better way to steal our marriage from us and kill our love for one another and in the process destroy families than to keep us from seeking God together? If you are worried about what the painting looks like and you're afraid to start, can I just, can I just help you out? Just start. Just start. Make a commitment to start. There is one thing that Leonardo da Vinci did do when he walked in that room. He made a commitment to paint a painting. Now, in my mind's, eye I cannot fathom, what if, what if, what if, when he walked in that room, his original thought was not a portrait of a woman? What if maybe he thought I'd paint a landscape? and he started painting the landscape, and all of a sudden this woman popped out. And if you ever looked at the Mona Lisa, let me help you out, guys. She's not the most pretty woman you ever looked at. Come on, somebody. But nonetheless, there's a masterpiece. I don't know why he attempted what he was trying to do. I don't know if he was creating a portrait. I don't, we don't know those things. All we know is what we have. Hello, church. A masterpiece. Pick somewhere and start, married people. Young people. You know where you start? With your own relationship with Jesus. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you ain't got no business sinking a relationship with anybody else, especially a spouse. And let me tell you something, young ladies. If this guy wants to pursue pursue you, how about just bring him to the elders of the church? He'd be all right. Tell him, no, we ain't going out on a date until you and Pastor Don go out on a date. And sit back and laugh. Watch, it's funny. We'll see how committed he is. Let me tell you something, young men. Why not require her to spend some time with godly women? And trust their opinion. Amen? See, when I wanted to introduce Matt Stutzman to Elizabeth, I called Elizabeth's pastor. Mike Young. And he gave the okay. Okay. And so my wife and I hauled Matt Stutzman from here to Grand Rapids on a blind date to a Mexican restaurant with Elizabeth Patterson, Stutzman now. And we introduced them. We had lunch together. It was a great time. It's pretty awkward to watch the two of them. And then we promptly drove Elizabeth back to her house, and Matt got out of the door and walked her to the door. And I love it. They talked for a minute. Lisa and I sat in the car. And Matt got back in the car, and we started driving south. And it was kind of quiet for a minute. And so I looked over at Matt, and I was like, well? He said, well, what? I said, did you get her number? And he said, I tried. What do you mean you tried? He said, she wouldn't give it to me. I said, she wouldn't give it to you? What did you do? Everything was great until you walked her through the door. Way to go, hero. These are two adults people. And I said, "What happened?" He said, "She told me that she would call you tomorrow and tell you whether you could give me her number or not." And I said, "Oh, buddy, I own you." <laughs> what a beautiful story. It can be done with God's glory where do we start to pray Pastor Don how about the next meal you eat together how about in the morning right before you leave each other for the day doesn't have to be long how about in the evening when you see each other the first time how about when you know your spouse is struggling can I pray with you it doesn't matter where you start Just start, the two of you. Come on. Is this all right? Because I know you want a masterpiece, and God has promised it to you. You know what I'm saying? But it's intimidating because we don't know where to start. Will you stand with me in this place? I'm going to have the ushers come forward.